Welcome back. Next, here on Talk TV, we're going to be discussing the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas, the terrorist organization. You can call me on 0344 499 1000 because we also want to hear from you. Joining me now is Colonel Richard Kemp, a former British Army commander. Richard, thank you so much for joining me here. I, I read the article that you've written in The Telegraph criticising the former Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace, saying that um, he doesn't actually really understand this conflict. Would you like to elaborate on your comments? Yeah, well, um, Ben Wallace has essentially accused the IDF of a series of war crimes, including um, uh, indiscriminate bombing, um, forcible movement of populations uh, and, uh, and disproportionality. He, he suggests that Israel is involved in some kind of killing spree. Those aren't quite his words, but it was something like that. It was killing, um, it was killing uh, rage, Richard. He said, uh, he said Benjamin Netanyahu yeah. is gripped by a killing rage, I think was the language he used. Yes, and, and that, that, of course, is far from the truth. What, what Ben Wallace does not attempt to explain is what the IDF should be doing in the, in the light of the 7th of October massacres. He doesn't give an alternative, like so many other people, they're only too willing to criticise what the IDF is doing, but they're not willing to suggest a better way of doing it or any other way of doing it, in fact. Uh, Richard, of course, Ben Wallace, longest-serving Defence Secretary for this country since the Second World War, a former soldier, having served himself with the Scots Guards in Northern Ireland. You, you would think that he, he would understand what his language meant here, the, the referring to collective punishment, as he did in his article, is implying, is, is going beyond implying, is actually an accusation that the Israeli Defence Force, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, have committed war crimes. That's a very, very serious allegation for such a former uh, Defence uh, Minister and a very senior politician to make, isn't it? It's an extremely serious accusation, which is why I wrote the article in The Telegraph to, to correct what he was saying. And it's not just the fact that he is misrepresenting what the IDF is doing, badly misrepresenting and, and slandering them, in effect. But also, this sort of comment, when it isn't based on reality, and I'm sure it is not based on reality, it's very, very dangerous because, one, it gives succour to Hamas, it encourages Hamas to think that there are people around the world in serious positions or formerly in serious positions who kind of see their perspective and see their point of view. And secondly, by alleging IDF war crimes like this without any basis, uh, he encourages, and I'm sure he doesn't mean to do so, but he does, in fact, encourage the Jew hate that has been gripping London since this conflict began. And it can only be, it can only make that situation worse. If it, if it was, if it had good foundation, it was, it was right and reasonable, I wouldn't have a difficulty with it to tell the truth. But it is not the truth, it's far from it. And um, you, you say that it's a bit of a well-worn path, people criticising from the sidelines with no idea about what the solution uh, should be. It seems clear to me from the statements by our Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and David, David Cameron, jointly with the German Foreign Secretary, and what we're hearing out of the United States, there's going to be significant pressure brought on the government of Israel to change tactics, to go to a much more targeted approach in terms of uh, destroying the threat from Hamas. What would that look like on the ground? Well, these pe people say this sort of thing, and people encouraged the IDF to do this from the start. But those people 
don't have the experience the IDF has. They don't really, okay, they may, they may have experience in other conflicts, Afghanistan and Iraq, where these tactics were tried and actually did not succeed. Um, but the IDF understand what they're doing and they know that they're not going to achieve um, the destruction of Hamas, which is absolutely vital for the survival of Israel by pinpoint targeted raids in such a tough environment. This is not Afghanistan, it's not Iraq, and it's certainly not ben, what Ben Wallace kind of compares it to, which is Northern Ireland. It's far, far different from that. So I think, the, I think many of these remarks that are being made, including comments by other politicians that say Israel should observe the laws of war, Israel should reduce the number of civilians it's killing, these people know that that's already happening. They know Israel rigidly adheres to the laws of war and does everything it can to prevent civilian casualties. The reason they're saying this is not because they think it's true. It's because in many cases, like, for example, Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak, because they want to appease the anti-Israel sections of their electorate. They're trying to play both sides. And it's a very dangerous game for the reasons I explained, because it does imply Israel's committing war crimes, which it is not and it stirs up anti-Jewish hate. Richard, we've also learned today that President Zelensky is seeking to call up another 500,000 uh, soldiers in his fight against Russia. Do you think it's been a great fillip to President Putin and his illegal invasion of Ukraine for us to be distracted in the Middle East in the way that we are with the Israel-Hamas conflict? It is absolutely a fillip to uh, Putin. It's It's plays right into his hands in a way. And you can't help wondering the, the, the influence he might have had on his very, very close ally, Iran, mm. which is his chief supplier of weapons to attack Ukrainian civilians uh, and military as well. Um, he's also got close links with Hamas and the Islamic Jihad in Gaza, both of whom sent senior representatives to Moscow a few months before this attack took place on the 7th of October. And he also has close connections with uh, Lebanese Hezbollah in the north. So it, whether or not there is some kind of direct Russian uh, influence at play here, which I think there might be, it does play into his hands because it takes attention away from by the West, which was already war-weary of Ukraine. And it also deprives some resources of, uh, from Ukraine because a lot of ammunition, particularly artillery shells, etc., have been shipped to Israel to help it in this conflict by the United States. Uh, and that ammunition is sorely needed in, in Ukraine as well. Do you take it from this, Richard, that Ukraine is beginning to lose this conflict against Russia? I think we've got uh, effectively a position of some kind of stalemate. It's not exactly stalemate. But the Ukrainian chief of the general staff himself uh, a few weeks ago um, said that the Ukrainian counteroffensive that has been going on for several months has ground to a halt and will not be making any further progress. Um, and, and, and what that means is that Russia holds on to the territory it's got, and, unless Ukraine can find some other way of dislodging it. Uh, and indeed, Russia is launching some counteroffensives uh, further up in the, in the northeastern part of Ukraine, which have been relatively successful. I think Russia also, while Ukraine is basically stalled on the uh, Russian defensive lines that Putin will be trying to, uh, to, to, to prepare and build up forces for a further Russian uh, significant offensive sometime early next year. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely fascinating contribution there. And of course, people can read that full article in The Telegraph today. Alicia and Benedict are still with me. Alicia, 
I mean, just how depressing it almost feels as the, as the world's attention has been dragged over to the, the conflict going on between Israel and Hamas. Uh, yeah, almost in Ukraine, the conflict's ground to a halt and we see the prospect, apparently, according to Richard, of an emboldened Russia starting to make new progress in that illegal war. I mean, just not what we want to hear in Europe, is it? Well, this is it. Obviously, there has rightly been so much coverage to the Israel-Hamas war, and clearly that has been at the, the top of the agenda for the government and, you know, for, for everyone, really. But we have to remember there is still another war happening. It's far from over, and that is the war between Ukraine and Vladimir Putin. Uh, the trouble is, is there's so much pressure now on other countries across the world to help in now two wars as well. And it's really stretching people's defense budgets. It's really stretching people's humanitarian aid budgets. And it's just making this so much harder to get right. I mean, there's only so much money and so many resources that other countries have and can really help contribute to this. And of course, great resistance we see both in America and the European Union for further aid packages to Ukraine. Do, do you think we can unlock this conundrum, particularly in the United States and Europe ahead of their elections, for both of which take place next year? Well, in the year 2021 to 22, we spent £3.6 billion more in our defence spending budget than mm. we had the year prior to that. So it's already, we're spending a lot of defence um, already. And the issue that the, the former Defence Secretary Ben Wallace said, and Grant Shapps, the new one, will also say too, is just that we just can't stretch that any further. There is Money is really tight coming up to the next election. And the worry from the government is that prioritising defence spending with so much bulk of that government cash is not going to help the people in the UK who actually just want to see their life be a bit easier. Yeah, Benedict, how easy do you think the life of people in the UK would be if President Putin wins his illegal war in Ukraine? It would get more difficult Correct. because because he then has massive control over all kinds of resources and the passage of resources uh, between the East and the West. And I think that this is something that people in Europe more broadly need to remember, not just in the UK, is that when you give up on growth effectively, you do make yourself more vulnerable to other parts of the world. And it's not just Russia, it's also China, it's also obviously what's going on uh, with the Suez Canal right now. And if uh, Donald Trump, people are talking about Donald Trump potentially becoming president of the next um, election in the United States and that that might signal the end for Ukraine because he will slash budgets and he won't want to pursue that necessarily. But you have to say that a few years ago when he was president, he went out and he warned the people of NATO countries, yeah. you have to take your budget seriously and you have to stop doing business with Russia because bad things will happen. And we all remember the Germans laughing at him because he was crazy Donald Trump. He didn't know what he was talking about. But here we now are in a situation where actually half of Europe cannot afford to not do business with Russia and there is no, there is very little left. Donald Trump, the president who uh, delivered peace and economic growth, Joe Biden, the president who's delivered economic decline and chaos. You tell me who's doing better.